Hello, and welcome to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. Happy springtime! Thomas here. I'm excited today to introduce a talk by Kevin Griffin. His book, A Burning Desire, was pivotal to my recovery and bringing me back to my Buddhist practice when I was at my lowest point, really. Um, Before we get to that talk, though, first we'll have some announcements. The Refuge Recovery International Conference is coming up July 12th through 14th, RefCon 5 in Chicago. Also, we have the Buddhist Recovery International Summit coming up in September. It'll be September 5th through the 8th and will be taking place in Lacey, Washington. Topics that will be covered at the summit include addressing trauma and creating safe spaces in our sanghas and in the rooms, early Buddhist teachings on addiction and recovery, using stories and suttas from the Pali Canon to address modern challenges, review and experience the many formats for Buddhist recovery meetings, Refuge Recovery, Heart of Recovery, 8-Step Recovery, and 12-Step Focused Meetings. Buddhist Recovery Past, Present, and Future. Where do we go from here, and how can the BRN help? Find out more info and register at BuddhistRecovery.org. I'll post links in the podcast description. Our BRN Academy live recording is next happening on May 5th, so mark your calendar and hope to see you there. Okay, I'll go ahead and introduce our teacher now. Kevin Griffin is a Buddhist teacher and author in the Theravada tradition. He is a co-founder of the Buddhist Recovery Network and teaches internationally across Buddhist traditions. He has been a Buddhist practitioner and in recovery for over three decades. His teacher training was at Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Northern California, where he still teaches his flagship Dharma and Recovery class. Besides teaching at Buddhist and other spiritual centers, Kevin works with treatment centers and has consulted with leading addiction researchers. His website is www.kevingriffin.net. His books include... A Burning Desire, which I mentioned earlier, Dharma God and the Path of Recovery, One Breath at a Time, Buddhism and the Twelve Steps, Buddhism and the Twelve Steps Workbook, and Recovering Joy, A Mindful Life After Addiction. Okay, I'll go ahead and play Kevin's talk. It'll start off with a short meditation. Close your eyes or just lower your gaze. And just connect with your body. What you're feeling right now. Whatever energies are present physically, emotionally. Just allowing that, having a sense of openness. receptivity 
quality of mindfulness is also one of curiosity. What am I experiencing right now? And connecting with the breath and the body. What does that feel like? Letting the breath be an anchor to the present moment. And even if the mind is still active to try to just sense the breath and the body. This practice isn't about shutting down thought, really changing our relationship to thoughts, not being so caught up in believing the thoughts that arise, not being so disturbed by them. Thoughts come and go. And the breath is always here, always here in this present moment. Always here as our refuge, our anchor. Notice if your thoughts are in conflict with you. Are they thoughts of judgment, grasping? And seeing if you can bring a attitude of kindness to yourself, compassion, forgiveness. We are imperfect beings. There's no need to punish ourselves for that. It's just how things are.
I'm going to talk just a little bit about the themes of um, my latest book, um, which is called Living Kindness. And, and the the title Living Kindness is, is meant to uh, resonate for Buddhists with um, the traditional teaching called loving kindness and, and uh, to expand on the idea of, of loving kindness uh, into something that is more pervasive in our lives, not just something we do in a cushion. I see a note that you can hardly hear me. Ooh, okay. Um, I will get closer to the microphone. So the, the kind of question that I'm working with is, uh, is starting, the starting question is what is love and how do we understand that? Um, I think that we have a very limited idea of what that means. Sort of an idea that love is about liking things. Um, you know, like I, I like ice cream, but I don't really love ice cream. Um, and so then maybe that it's easy to understand what liking means. Uh, but uh, when we look at what the Buddha says about love, first of all, he, he, to a great extent, he emphasizes non-hatred, which is kind of typical Buddhist uh, view of the sort of looking at the opposite or the negative of something as a way of getting at it rather than naming something that we're going to grasp onto. So non-ill will is a phrase we see a lot, which I think that in itself is a great idea in terms of bringing something positive into our lives. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an aversive type and I'm, I don't, I'm really not that uh, moved by um, by niceness. I uh, if you know, I'm not sure I even trust niceness to a certain extent. I trust uh, care and help uh, and you know action. I guess more than just uh, that kind of smiley niceness that I run into sometimes in Dharma centers, uh, particularly if I'm not being too tough. Um, but uh, the, to get at some more of a, a definition of what love is in the, in the loving kindness sutta, the Buddha says, um, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings. So the love of a mother protecting her child is not liking so much. In fact, as a parent, I know that there are times when I can be quite annoyed with my child, and, but I'm still, I still take care of her. I still will feed her and you know, uh, take care of her needs. So, so I've come to kind of define love more as care than as uh, affection or liking. 
So let me, since I have very little time, let me bring this then back to uh, the question of addiction and recovery. And we can see that addictive behavior is the opposite of caring. It's harmful. It's harming ourselves. It's not protecting ourselves. It's, it's creating danger and risk for ourselves, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, all those levels, we are harming ourselves. And even if we like ourselves in some sort of egotistical way or narcissistic way, if we are treating ourselves badly, we're not loving ourselves by this definition. But when we enter into recovery, even if we don't like ourselves, if we have a sort of negative self-image, if we are caring for ourselves, I think we are actually loving ourselves. Yeah, there still might be negative thoughts, but I think that's very common. I think most of us carry around, particularly in our culture, there seems to be this sort of like called inner critic, not a phrase I'd like that much, but it does capture something, this sort of voice that's like, I'm not good enough. It's measuring us. And, and we definitely have to work with that. It's not a helpful voice. But if we are caring for ourselves, physically, emotionally, spiritually, then I think we are acting, we are being loving towards ourselves. And further, if we are caring for others, in these ways. I think we are loving them. You know, it's easy to say, I love you. Not so hard, not so easy to actually take care of people and to be kind. Uh, One of the lines in the suttas says, uh, I think to myself, why not put aside what I wish to do and do what these venerable ones wish to do? That's a monk talking about some other monks about taking care of them. And, and this is, you know, this is the epitome, I think, of love is putting aside what my preference, what I want to do and doing what this other person needs and, and what's going to help them. Now, of course, there's a risk in that if we're always putting aside what we wish to do and doing what others wish, you know, this is kind of the definition of codependence. So I'm not suggesting that that's just a, uh, a single rule. The Buddhism, we're always kind of have to look at what's the middle way. So taking care of ourselves, taking care of others in in some balance. So that's one way that I think we can look at recovery as an act of love and and that we can see as love is integral to recovery. Our relationships, you know, the whole in the 12 steps, looking at the, the, the amends process, all about love, really, about taking care of others and, and how we have harmed others and, and ultimately trying to heal that. One more piece I'll bring in uh, is the, that um, the idea of love as an aspect of, as, as a definition of a higher power. This is something I talked about in my second book, A Burning Desire. Uh, But as I've gotten into this topic further about love, it's been interesting to just replace the term God in the steps 
with the word love. So if I turn my will and my life over to the care of love, as I understand love, in some ways I find that more accessible than the word God, which can have can be confusing and can have a lot of um, baggage with it. But trying to turning my will and my life over to the care of love has a certain resonance for me that, oh, I'm going to try to be loving. I'm going to try to live this way. I'm going to try to feel love as well as give love. Seven steps as we humbly asked love to remove our shortcomings. That's an interesting idea, right? To um, allow love to be the transformative power in our lives. The 11th step, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with love as we understood it. Again, I think a a really... uh, a powerful way to to look at the at the steps and to look at higher power. Um, there's no doubt that you know love is a power, and uh, and uh, you know I can even remember seeing billboards as a kid said God is love. You know I thought that meant that this being God was loving in some way. But if I just think of it in more simple terms, God is love, love is God, then I, d- I don't even have to have a being involved in this. It's just the power of love is transformative and healing. So um, I think I'm just going to open it up uh, with that. I th- that's kind of the, the main sort of themes that I'm interested in exploring with the, the question of what is love, uh, you know, both love, both as protection and as non-hatred. And then uh, the question of how that love can be viewed as a higher power. I think, um, well, the, the last thing I'll say, and so people are uh, maybe thinking of questions, um, hopefully. And the last thing I'll say is that in the, Twelve-step literature. One of the things that's uh, sort of a, a very common thing that people repeat is that resentments are the number one killer. And so another another way that that love or ill will is is um, part of the part of this recovery process, uh, dealing with that. And so obviously, love in whatever way we're able to manifest it is, um, is the response to that. So, uh, you know, my, one of my goals is to make things accessible and workable, you know, to, so to try to take love out of this sort of uh, dreamy idealistic version, bring it into something very practical, like to, to live, to live our kindness, to be caring uh, for ourselves and for others. So I would say that if you are here today with me, you are, it's an act of love for yourself because it's caring for your spiritual condition, which is part of the, the healing work that we do.
Okay. So, uh, questions. Um, I think Thomas will can maybe transmit them to me, <laughs> not psychically, but verbally. Can you can you hear the question, Kevin? <laughs> not yet. Anybody have questions? Go ahead and type them in the chat field, um, or if you want to come on uh, video and ask, um, say hi to Kevin and ask your question. Let let us know, and we can get your video shared. Um, so yeah, we have the next couple minutes to go ahead and go over any questions. Yeah, and I'll say you can ask questions about anything. It doesn't have to be about what I've just talked about. It can be about meditation or Dharma or recovery, whatever is on your mind. Um, so I guess I'll start. I have a question, Kevin. Um, okay. It's not exactly about what we talked about, but so I've been getting more. Um, so I started, you know, I got, I started my recovery with Buddhism um, and got sober through Buddhism. And now I'm getting, I'm starting to get more into the 12 steps. And as I do that, I have come across people talking about, you know, they, they talk about normies, you know, they separate themselves very much from other people that aren't in recovery. And, you know, with my understanding and thinking with Buddhism, you know, I would try to separate myself less from other people. And so I kind of wonder, you know, when people are like, oh, that's so alcoholic of you, or you're such an alcoholic, and they're really identifying with alcoholic being this identity that makes them separate from everyone else. Yeah. And I kind of was wondering, like, what, what your thoughts are on that? Like, because I just, I kind of see it as a bad thing, and it, or maybe it just might be something that annoys me. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, but I was curious, since you have mm. you know, both in 12 Steps and Buddhism. Um, I can, I kind of see both sides and I, and I, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're saying and, and, um, it's, there is a way in which it's not helpful and in which it's, it can be, uh, even kind of creating a victim mentality or, uh, but, but it's also, about, um, I mean, it, it's partly also about relating to each other and feeling connected and sort of, so it's sort of tribal, you know, but, but it's sort of like nice to be in a tribe in a way. So I, I guess I take it as like, like not to take it to, to, to try to take it lightly in a way to kind of see, oh yeah. I see what you mean. Like, yeah, there are these, you know, these certain qualities. I mean, because I, I, I don't separate, as you say. I mean, I, I do and I don't, but uh, separate normies from addicts. But I think of addiction as on a continuum and that, that all humans have these tendencies of craving and attachment and desire, which is obviously what the Buddha was talking about. And that when it gets to a certain point, it cr sort of crosses the line into what we call addiction. So in that way, yeah, we're not any different. We're just, a, you know, a slightly different version of normal, if that, <laughs> but yeah, on the other hand, we're in this community and, and what really makes us distinctive isn't that we have the problem or that we have that behavior, but that we've identified it as a thing that needs to be dealt with and that we are dealing with it in a certain way together. 
And that's kind of what really defines our community because there's a lot of people who are worse addicts and alcoholics who aren't in recovery. And there's lots of people who, you know, really didn't have that much of a problem, but they get, they found that the 12 steps and recovery program really changed their life and helped them. So it's not that, well, we're the really bad people and then the really bad addicts. And then those other people aren't, it's more how we have defined ourselves and how we have, uh, how we've, what we're working on, how, how we're, and how we're acknowledging that. So I'm not answering your question, but it's the best I could do. Oh, thank you. Okay. So, Karen Foley asked, um, did you say humbly ask love to replace my shortcomings? To remove my shortcomings. That, that's, so step seven says, we humbly asked God to remove. Isn't that what it says? <laughs> step six is, we're entirely ready to have God remove all our character defects. I'm, I'm getting, you know, warping on the steps. And then step seven is we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. So if we say we humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings, entirely ready to have love remove our shortcomings. We were humbly asked love to remove our shortcomings or our character defects. Can't believe I'm forgetting the words of the steps. <laughs> I have a cold people. Sorry. Um, so I got another question in, um, from Kevin Becker. Um, he said, I liked your emphasis on balance. I think the concept of love can be challenging for addicts because we often have an overwhelming, romanticized, clingy relationship with it. For me, it's about being in touch with my heart. That's what I said. I think that's part of it. I, so I think there are the th- three elements. There is the felt experience, the mental state. There is the verbal expression. And then there is the active expression of love. It sometimes I don't feel loving, but I try to maintain my behavior and my speech so that I'm not creating negative effects. Um, so that's, it's, you know, this is, I think this is really important because if feelings are impermanent, you know, we can't always feel good or we can't always feel loving or we can't always feel like, you know, sometimes we have a feel, a feeling like I want to have a drink. So we, if we just are depending on that to define whether we are loving or not, I think we're going to sort of feel like, oh, I'm going in and out of being loving. Well, uh, that's true in a feeling way, but I think in a, in a in a behavioral way, we can still be kind. So, thank you so much, Kevin, for that wonderful talk. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. If this teaching meant something to you, and you'd like to give back or give Donna donation you can go to buddhistrecovery.org forward slash donate also if there's any announcements or any upcoming things in buddhist recovery that are exciting and you'd like to have them shared on the podcast 
go ahead and send us an email at contact at BuddhistRecovery.org. Hope you all have a good day. Bye.